as we aspire to become a dad making a difference, we may rely heavily upon our own past experiences, childhood experiences, and even past relationships to help shape us into the fathers we want to become. Our experiences will have an impact on how we raise our kids. But what happens when you look back at your life and you realize that you never had those positive relationships, that you didn't have the positive role models, and that your childhood was just full of trauma after trauma? Today, I'm having a conversation with Rob Decker, where Rob is going to share his amazing transformation story on how he came through a childhood full of trauma, a life full of addiction, and even through a failed suicide attempt. To come out on the other side as an inspired man dedicated to loving others. And how through forgiveness, he was able to become the father he wanted to be. The type of father that he never had. This is a great and heavy conversation. I encourage you to listen to every word. This conversation with Rob Decker starts right now. You are listening to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Hello, my friend. Welcome to this episode of the Dads Making a Difference podcast. My name is Cam, and today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Rob Decker. Rob is a husband, a father, a personal fitness trainer. He's a C-car recovery coach and a best-selling author and speaker. And today you're going to hear his story, a story full of trauma, addiction, neglect of a failed suicide attempt. But Rob's primary objective in sharing his story that he suffered through for many years is to inspire others and encourage others and give hope to others who may have fought similar battles so that you can come out on the other side as Rob did with forgiveness, understanding, and love. Because there are men out there right now, dads out there right now who are suffering, suffering with loneliness, suffering with addiction, suffering with no hope with mental health. And Rob is here to let you know you're not alone. Rob is the founder of Rise as Lions, a nonprofit whose mission is to create shame-free communities. Rob's an amazing guy. He knows that there's a silent crisis right now. And the number of people with a mental health issue is growing at an astonishing rate. And it's time to bridge the gap with mental health systems and supports for all who need them. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. This is a deep conversation, but it's a powerful one. Here is my conversation with Rob Decker. Rob, welcome to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, brother. I'm pumped that we can make this happen. Well, dude, it is about time. And I, and I take that, right? That's, I, I own that, man. That's not oh, on no. you. That is on me. Hey, when you have two guys who are driven to make a difference in the lives of other people and are pushing hard, who are dads and professionals and got businesses and going, man, that's what's going to happen. And so if you're listening to this, Rob's being very gracious right now, but we've, we've tried to connect for months. And today yes. we uh, happened to connect on the phone, just a quick call while you were in the vehicle and I was in the vehicle and like, you know what, let's make this happen. How about tonight? And so here we are. So thanks for taking time. You know, I, you were just being dad putting the kids yeah. to bed, right? Yes. Just being dad, just rushing home after baseball practice, trying to get food in my son's belly. And then, you know, trying to send my wife off while putting some, my daughter down, you know, um, yeah. one real of life my daughters stuff. down. Yeah. Real life stuff. So you got three children. I do. Yeah, I have man. a six-year-old Caleb. I have a three-year-old Gianna and a three-month-old um, Violet. And I actually have a, a 23-year-old son. He's out in Georgia, but I don't have to worry about putting him down to sleep. So. <laughs> He'll take care of himself. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah he's so your dad, husband, um, mm-hmm. Rob, we're going to mix it up a bit. The guys who listen to this podcast know I always ask guys the same two questions at the end of every interview. After they've told their story, after all the stuff, 
I ask them what area of growth as a dad they're focused on right now or they're excited about. And I want to lead with that question because I think that question Mm. itself will tell us so much about you and open up doors that and pathways that we can go down for this conversation. So yeah, Rob, as a dad, what is one area of growth that you're really excited about right now or you're diving into? You know, um, really right now it's, it's really being engaged with my son, Caleb. I mean, I'm engaged with all three of my children. Um, but you know, I had a different relationship with my dad and my son, Caleb and I, you know, we have this cool bond and, you know, I don't want my negative um, childhood experiences to impact my son. And I don't want to like um, compensate, overcompensate with my son, just trying to do the, the polar opposite of how I was raised, because I think that can be harmful too. And so just really being mindful in all those um, like developing as a, a dad and, and seeing parts of my dad and me and trying to do things a little bit different without going overboard. If that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense because I know your story. Oh, yes, and that's why that. I wanted to ask that question. Because so yeah. often as dads, we will rely on our own experiences as kids with our fathers to shape what we do, kind of the, like the, the bread part of being a dad, right? Right. And you do it so naturally and you've got your kids and I loved getting the text before this, like got the three month old, we're just trying to put it down. Like, it's just so real for you, but you mentioned not wanting to overcompensate for maybe the the struggles you had when you were a kid and and what happened Mm -hmm. in your, your upbringing. So I want to dive into that. Why don't you tell us a little bit? Like, what was your childhood like? Oh, it was very challenging. And you know this, Kim, and you know this. <laughs> um, you know, I was raised by my stepfather, who I believed was my real dad until I was about six years old when I found out that he wasn't, right? I got uh, last day of school, show up to the house. I have a diploma with his last name on it. My parents sit me down and that's when they let the cat out of the bag. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm not your real dad. And, um, you know, um, I truly believe that did a number on me. I mean, he was dad, he was dad. And my sister was my sister, you know? And, and I think what happens too, is just like, well, okay, well, you're not my real dad was my real dad. And why isn't he around either? You know? And so it was kind of like a double whammy at such, such a young age. And, um, my sister always got treated a little bit different than I, you know, I mean, it was his natural daughter. Um, my parents basically got together at a very young age. What happened was my dad met my mom when I was about six months old and, and, um, you know, they did what adults or (laughs) irresponsible youngsters do. And, (laughs) and, um, my mom got pregnant and his family encouraged, um, them to get married. That was the right thing to do. Right. And so you have two people that probably shouldn't have been together trying to make it work and trying to make it happen. And, um, you know, in that process, I saw a lot, you know, I saw a lot of violence, uh, you know, emotional disturbances, uh, drugs, alcohol, partying, um, you know, cops coming to the house, you know, it was just very chaotic throughout my, my whole childhood. And then, when I was about eight years old, I was molested by a neighborhood kid and his dad and my dad were friends. You know, my dad was ex-Marine boxer. Like, dude, my dad was a tough dude. You know what I'm saying? Like he was like that guy, the man's but, you man. know, in the same breath. Yeah. He was a man's man, you know, but in the same breath, the embarrassment and shame of something like that happened and knowing my dad's strong personality. It was like, that's not information I could take to him. So I didn't. And I I buried that down. And, you know, um, shortly after, you know, I was, I was, I was a troublemaker, man. I just, um, 
you know, and I started snooping around my parents' room when they weren't home and I found some pornography in my dad's room. And so I started watching that at a really young age. And, you know, this is before the technology area era where, you know, kids can just pick up an iPhone and check it out. Right. Well, right. I had a VHS tape, you know, you had to put it back exactly where it was. You had to like rewind, like whatever the case may be. Rewind it back to the right spot. Yeah. Get it again. <laughs> yeah. You just, you're just hoping like dad's like, yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, so then pornography became such a big part of my life. And, um, you know, my, just the inconsistencies in my parents' marriage and, and just the chaos. And, you know, I, I actually shut down a lot. You know, I think that, you know, I started getting out a little bit of trouble outside of the house. Um, but, you know, I, I would mind my, pu- my P's and Q's in the house, right? Because, you know, my dad's Marine, tough, tough kind of guy, you know. And um, by the time I was in high school, I had met a, a young lady and um, she was like my first girlfriend. And um, something shifted for me my freshman year in high school. I think this is when I really started having a falling out with my dad. And so a couple things happened my freshman year in high school. Um, one is I met that girl and, um, I went over to her house one day and, and her parents were out of town and her, her dad's best friend was watching us. <laughs> um, but instead he gave us alcohol and, uh, got us intoxicated and he took advantage of my girlfriend, like right in front of me. Um, but how something happened you? that night Sorry, how, about how 14, about 14. So, um, and- I want, I want you to continue, but I'm sorry. Can we just circle back for a second? Six years old. So six years old, you're told that Mm -hmm. dad isn't your real dad. Correct. And part of that, you've told your story before I've heard it. Part of that is that you're not going to carry on his last name. Correct. And you're working through that. And now, you know, life goes by, you're experiencing things in your household and your family. And now you're 14 years old. Well, Mm -hmm. how, how old were you? You were eight years old when you were molested by Correct. the neighbor friend. Yep. And now 14 years old, you're sitting there while another man mm-hmm. takes advantage of a grown man, a, a grown, grown man, man yeah, a grown takes adult advantage man. of your girlfriend when you're 14 years old in, in this right. eight year period. That is just like the tip of the iceberg, but the trauma. Like what that does to your brain and development right now, man. Like I am, I'm just trying, can't wrap my, my head around this right now. So I don't want to interrupt your story, but just to no, reinforce what you just cruised through in about four <laughs> minutes is like more than anyone should have to experience in their entire life. Yeah. I mean, man. there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, physical altercations, you know, even in that time, you know, um, so, um, you know, we, we would get hit, you know, I would get hit, you know, my sister, not so much, but I, I would get hit. And, uh, um, cause I, you know, I was getting in a little bit of trouble and stuff like that, but, you know, same, same time frame, freshman year in high school. Um, you know, I remember there was a, a kid in my medals class junior and he just loved picking on me, bro. And, um, you know, I just had it, man. I just had it. I think that all, everything that had happened in my house, like these disconnected relationships, just like the, you know, um, and I remember in metals class, man, this guy kept picking on me. So I waited. I mean, I just plotted this out. I waited for this guy to stand in front of the class to talk to the teacher, the metals teacher. Mm. And I was on a mission to put on a show. And uh, when he walked up there, I walked up there and I just, unloaded on the dude um you know i saw a lot of violence so violence was kind of like eh, acceptable to me right um i'd had seen it before you know it handles business so let's handle business and i just remember unloading and corking on this dude and making an example out of him so you know freshman year alone was okay this 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 girlfriend situation um, now I'm drinking, drinking, and I liked it because I didn't have to feel. So that's what that night did to me. Numbing your feelings, numbing what you experienced. Yeah. And then 
And then now I just lit this guy up in my class and everybody respects me. They respect me for, for, for taking down the older guy. Right. So now I've developed um, kind of a bad boy image. Right. right. And um, ultimately I was becoming my dad. I was becoming my dad. The guy that I struggled to deal with was the guy that I was becoming and I didn't even see it, you know? And so, you know, in my early teens, my mom and dad had broken up and I remember my dad came home and, you know, as I share about my dad, everything's been forgiven. I love the man, like everyone had their own junk. And um, so I don't want anyone, the listeners to feel that like, dude, I'm just trashing this guy because he's my dad and I love him dearly. Um, but he came home one day, um, and, uh, he came to my room and told me to go do the dishes and, and he had brought his girlfriend home with him. And I was just like, dude, like, what? Like mom, like mom is here, bro. (laughs) You know, mom is here. Mom was in the house and your dad brought girlfriend home. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, so when he came into my room, I had a few choice, not so PG 13 words for him. And, um, he threw me off the bed and he walked over and he stuck his foot in my throat. And he said, if you think you're a man now, come meet me in the living room. And I was so, I was over it, man. I was just like, you know, um, so I met him in the living room and he steps on my toe, he steps on my foot and he just open hand slaps me, knocks me back. And I just open up on the guy. I just you know, um, and he was shocked. I don't think he was expecting, um, the return (laughs) and, um, but that was it for me. It was over. It was like that. He just picked me up. He dipped me, got me in the couch and, you know, um, my mom and his girlfriend had to come over there and, and stop it before it got too ugly, you know? Um, and that was just kind of the falling out completely at that point with, with him. You know, it's like, you really have no business coming here with your girlfriend and tell me what to do at this point in life. Right. You know, I'm out here just trying to figure it out now, you know? And so that was pretty much, I mean, that was high school, man. I mean, and at that point when that had happened, I'd been so far into getting into drugs and alcohol. Um, I remember we went to my buddies and I, some friends, because there were some ladies there, some young ladies we ended up going to a movie theater and, um, and it was a drive-in movie theater. And I was in the trunk of my, my buddy's car. We pull in and open the trunk and I'm jumping out and being loud and obnoxious. And the guy next to us, he wasn't having it, man. And the guy pulls a shotgun out uh, of the back of his trunk and he points it at me. And I was like, what are you going to do, man? I dare you. Like, I mean, this was kind of just the place that I was in my head at this point, because it was just yeah. like, I just don't care. Wow. <laughs> and um, yeah. and he ended up putting the gun away, leaving. But then the cops show up and I'm irate. I'm like next level irate, you know. And um, I remember a, go- uh, a police officer tried to grab my shoulder to calm me down. But instead, I threw him. I threw him. And then I got tackled and. You know, and that was pretty much the beginning of my life of um, physical altercations with mm-hmm. authorities. And um, it really rocketed my aggression, you know, because now going to jail, juvenile hall, uh, there was a certain level of clout that came with that. <laughs> you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, I let that feed the identity that I was trying to develop. I guess. Right. And, um, you know, that was pretty much my, my teens, man. Um, wow. Can, can we pause there for a moment? Yeah. Six to eight, eight to 14. Now you're mm-hmm. 14 going through high mm-hmm. school, experiencing this. And then you said that it was the identity that you were creating. Mm-hmm. Were, were you, and you also mentioned that you were, be, you realized you were becoming your dad. So I want to ask so the same question for kind of both things you said. Did you realize it in that time? Did you realize that you were becoming your dad? Did you realize that you were crafting this identity or were you just like flying by the seat of your pants, drugs, alcohol, fighting parties, and this is just who you were becoming? I didn't realize I was becoming him until 
um, deep into my twenties, you know, when my, when my closest friends like would start calling me his name, um, because they'd see parts of him, you know, um, you know, yeah, I didn't see it, man. I didn't see it, you know, but I totally was becoming that, but probably even more reckless. I think he was a little bit more responsible at times with it, you know, as, a man that had responsibilities. I didn't have responsibility. I was trying to figure life out. I was trying to find my place in this life. And, um, so I couldn't, I I couldn't wrap my mind around it, you know? And, you know, the crazy thing is, is also in high school, when my dad left the house, um, my mom thought it would be a good idea for me to meet my biological father. She's like, I I was wondering if, when you, or if you met bio dad, so biological father, mom and mom suggests this this meeting yeah yeah and so i'm at school and all day and super excited and i i come home and i see his little truck out in front of the car or in front of the house and i walk into the house man into my mom's bedroom and he's smoking meth and i'm just like man like this is like you know and all all day i'm like man does this guy act like me does he look like me does he think like me like ah you know, um, and here he is, man, smoking meth. And I'm just like, man, I just can't win, bro. Wow. <laughs> I just can't win. So, wow. um, so and two, you know, two. like two for yeah. two, you, you, you have this experience with stepdad who you call dad. Cause he raised you since you were six months old. Yes. So I call and, him dad for sure. Yeah. And so dad, this is your unhealthy experience with dad. Yeah. And then you have this glimpse of maybe, I don't know, hope. Maybe this yes, anticipation yes, yeah. 100%, for meeting, yeah. yeah, biological father, and you walk in, yeah. and it's a little bit more of the same. Like, so how do, yeah. like, how do you feel in that moment, man? Like, how do you process through well, that? I mean, I guess it's just you are so accustomed to the disappointment at this point, you know. Um, eh. You know, I was victimized a lot growing up, right? So you start developing a, a victim mindset, and that's just like, ah. Eh woe is me kind of thing. Right. I mean, that's just what it is. Oh, well, I don't really need him anyway. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, it just sucked, man. It just sucked. Um, but that's just how we grew up. I mean, we grew up around all the drugs and the alcohol and gangs and, you know, violence and chaos. And, you know, my house was the, the house, my house on our block was the one that was known to stir all the trouble, right? The yeah, one that had the yeah. cops around the most. Um, the quote unquote, the, the one house that everybody would yeah. just go to. And that, that was the place. Yeah. Because at some point, you know, my mom was on her own mission. My dad was out of the house. I mean, my sister and I lived in our house for months without adult supervision. And um, there was times where we actually didn't have lights. We didn't have electricity, um, but we were still living in the house and we were fending for ourselves you know, trying to find food and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I'm fortunate because I did have people in my life that were helping me out and, you know, you're more grateful for it later down the road when you look back and like, you know, I'm just, you know, they helped me get by, they helped me get through a lot of stuff, but who was the trauma that's it? Huh? So who, I don't want to interrupt you, but man, you're just, it's so fascinating. Who was that? Who do you look back and say, you know what? I didn't realize it at the time, but they were there for me. Well, it was definitely my buddies, Joe and Benny. Um, my buddy, Billy, like Billy, Billy was my oldest childhood friend, but he lived like I had lived. And so him and I had lived common lives where, um, and he's like, a, he's like my big little brother. So he's younger than me, but he's big, you know, and, and he was a, a force man. Like, I'm glad he was on my team. <laughs> um, but <laughs> But, you know, he had his junk. So it's not like his his family really brought me in. So my buddy Joe and Benny, they, my buddy Joe and Benny, they were actually cousins. And I had met Joe when I was playing baseball in the eighth grade. I made all stars. His dad was the all star coach. So me and Joe became friends our freshman year in high school because we had that medals class together, the same class where I ended up getting into it with that gentleman. And um, and then I met his cousin shortly after that. And. I pretty much became a part of their family and they did their best to take care of me when I was in juvenile hall. Like they would let me call every single day. And, you know, when I was out, they fed me, they let me spend the night as much as I wanted. Like they really did their best 
which was really awesome because um, that was my, that was family for me. But there was still that other part of me that was yearning for my own dad and my own mom and my own family, you know, um, even to have a better relationship with my sister. You know, it's like I just didn't have any of that. So I did have some good people that I love very much and they're still in my life to this day. But you, you, you don't see it through that lens at the time. Right. You're just really so focused on what you don't have and what's going on with you and what negative negatively in, impacts you, you know? And, and I think about your experiences growing up and again, to the people listening to this, this man you're hearing the story from is an amazing father. <laughs> like you were an amazing dad to your kids and this is your background and we'll get back to your family and, and your kids uh, later on. But man, I still want to dive in because I think about your upbringing and I think about love. I think about intimacy. I think about connection and how from such a young age, these things didn't exist for you or you sought them out in more or less a poisonous type of way. So yeah. you, you become a young man. You're out of high school. You're a young man. Uh, what's next for you? Like what direction do you Oh, go? man. So, you know, I, <laughs> you know, another thing, it's all hindsight 2020, man. I was always a pretty outgoing, charismatic guy, and I was able to land some pretty good jobs and do really well at them. Unfortunately, the drinking, the using, the womanizing um, always got the best of me and something bad happened. Right. And I ended right. up losing it. But, you know, I'll be honest with you, man, my 20s, for the most part, you know, outside of spending some fun time, like and I'd hate to say, well, you know, there was drinking and using and there was um there was fun times in that because I was connecting with my buddies. Like I don't regret any of that stuff. There were actually fun times, but the problem for me was I couldn't just have fun with drugs and alcohol. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what I was using it for was to really run away. And, um, so most of my twenties, man, I was just heavily addicted, you know, early twenties. I, you know, I started using cocaine and I fell in love with it, man. And I was, you know, eating ecstasy all the time and just getting super drunk. And most of my 20s, I mean, really, really was, you know, um, there's some blotchy spots in there. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, yeah. eventually I was working at a gym around 29 years old and I met this young lady and we hit it off. And I'll be honest, man, I, I knew it was a bad idea. I really knew it was a bad idea. I was actually already kind of seeing someone at the time, but that was me. Had to have a few ladies on the roster because I'm insecure and I need that validation and mm. I'm mm. truly afraid of commitment and, you know, childhood stuff. And, yeah. um, and, um, you know, we got into a relationship and, you know, that went south pretty quick and, we ended up breaking up. Well, when we broke up, you know, I went and found faith, man. I was just like, my life was, I had a guy at, the, at my gym who was always, you know, trying to pour, you know, God into me. And, and, um, you know, so that's the avenue I went at 29 is like, you know, I'm going to give this God thing a try, man. I'm going to give this yeah. Jesus thing a try, man. And, um, she went down the path of escorting. Hmm. So, yeah. And one day, I think it was a couple months, few months after we had broken up, like I get a message from my buddy. Hey, check this out. And it's uh, she's on Craigslist. I don't know if you guys have Craigslist, but um, Craigslist, you can go find whatever you need. Right. Cars, jobs, women. Right. Mm -hmm. So at the time, escorts were allowed in California on Craigslist. Wow. And he sends me the link, man. And I'm like, dude, that's her. And my heart broke because I still cared about her. Mm -hmm. um, so what did I do? Silly little me. I reached back out to her and I developed a relationship with her again. Yeah. And um, within longing, that relationship. Longing for that connection, hey? Longing for that connection and that just validation piece? Well, you know, like drugs and alcohol. Right. You know, I used sex, drugs, and alcohol for connection. It's not real connection, right? It's very tainted, but that's what I was yearning for was true connection, but I didn't know how to achieve it. Right. I mean, I wasn't taught any of that. So, um, 
you know, her and I get back into a relationship and she's on a trip and she calls me up and she tells me everything short of being raped and, and, um, um, beaten from this man. And she's just like, when I get back home, let's, you know, it's, I'm done with this. Let's, let's work it out. And I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. And, and when she got back, I was at a buddy's house. She picked me up. We went to the liquor store. Um, I'd been drinking that day and we went back to her apartment and we started engaging in conversation. It just was, it was really uneasy because, um, knowing that she was raped and beaten and now here she is back like fully in my arms again. And yeah. it was just a uh, very uneasy and, um, and we get into a little bit of a tiff. So I go downstairs to take a, take a nap on the futon and I wake up to the cops banging at the door yeah. and she comes downstairs and I'm like, you know, what's up? Like, what's this all about? And she said, I called the cops and I told them that you raped me and that you tried to kill me. Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about our community of DMD brothers in the DMD mastermind. We are men who help each other to stay focused and intentional in our pursuits of personal, professional, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual growth. We are a community of men who bring courage, wisdom, and transparency to unfiltered conversations that challenge us to be more impactful men. To be dads making a difference. We do this through our online and in-person events where men come together to speak into each other's lives and then turn around and do the deep work to create change in their families, in their businesses, and in the community around them. If you are wondering if this community might be right for you, you can find more information on the DMD Mastermind, and you can also book a call directly with me at dmdmastermind.com. Now, let's get back to our show. And, you know, I was in this place. I mean, I was scared, uh, confused, felt betrayed. My my life just flashed before my eyes. Man, I was living couch to couch. I had no job. I was a drug dealer. I was an alcoholic. I was an addict. You know, I had nothing going for me, man. I really did. At that point, at 29 years old, crazy. When I was younger, I was told that I'd be dead or in prison by the time I was 30. This was eight days after my 29th birthday. And I'm sitting in this living room being accused of what I'm being accused of. And the moment just sits before me. There's cops at the door and there's a third story loft window right there. What are you doing, Rob? Death or prison? And I chose death. I opted for death. And so I ran headfirst out of a third story loft window window with the intention of breaking my neck and killing myself. And my foot clipped an awning, changed my fall. And I severed my spine, broke both my arms and collapsed my lung. And I survived it. And I went in uh, 10 hour surgery, woke up, cops come in, throw shackles on me. You're under arrest for rape and attempted murder throw a million dollar bond on me, man. Yeah, man. I, and, uh, I got goosebumps right now, but oh, I'm glad but that was here, the, man. yeah, me too. Well, I'm grateful. You know, here's the crazy thing. I tell people I'm grateful that I got molested. I'm grateful that I had a troubled childhood. I'm grateful that I had a drug and alcohol addiction, that I was falsely accused, that I attempted suicide, that I had all the experiences that I, have had in this life because now I get to sit across other broken men Mm. and say, man, I get you. I've been there. You are not alone. Um, you know, with everything I do, let's dive in because man, this is like, my brain is going a million miles and I apologize, Rob, that I'm interrupting you, but you're so cam. I love this, bro. I fired up. You just like where you are now, you're helping other men. What, what happened after? So you are in the hospital, you're yeah. handcuffed to a bed, million dollar bond. 
How did you get from there to <laughs> now? Because that is mind blowing to me right now. Uh, my faith plays a, a huge role. So, you know, Mara, I told you that when, when me and this young lady broke up the first time, I chose to walk more of a faith or a righteous path, right? And not to say that I was super righteous because I was still struggling. I was still doing some things. Um, but as I laid in that bed, I, I asked God, I said, what happens from here on out? And man, the most supernatural thing happened. I was laying in that bed and you have to, so keep in mind, I have an external fixator on my left arm, cast on my right arm, a back brace. I have a tube of medication coming out of my neck. I have oxygen going in my nose. I have all these heart rate monitors and blood pressure pads stuck all over my body. Right. Um, I'm trashed. I'm highly medicated on morphine and dilated due to the severity of the injury. There's no clarity. There's, you know, like, and all of a sudden I get this peace that comes over me and, and with the like utmost clarity. And it was just, man. And I hear the charges will be dropped. Your bills will be paid and you will walk again. And I doze off and I, I, I wake back up the lights, the, the, the chaos of the intercoms, the, the doctors, the nurses, you know, the cops right next to me, the machines are beeping and going and, you know, the chaos is back. The pain is back. Um, but shortly after that, one of the cops that came in to cover a shift was like, yo, Mr. Decker, um, they're going to drop the charges. <laughs> and, um, so in a few days, like cops came in, man, they took the handcuffs off and the cops were pretty cool. It was a different set of cops. So the detectives were the ones that arrested me. The cops came in and were like, yo, Mr. Decker, we hope that you heal. We only hope the best for you. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and then shortly after that, so now we're going to talk about some of my mom's stuff. Yeah. So yeah. while you're under arrest, you're shackled to a bed you don't get, you don't get visitors, man. You're, you're, you're arrested, right? You're arrested. You're locked up in that hospital. So my mom, I see her in the, the hallway and she's crying hands in her uh, hands on her face, man. And you know, she walks in, I'm like, what's up mom? I already knew what was said. I knew exactly what that doctor said to her. And, um, and, uh, it's like, what's up mom. And she's like, nothing, honey, everything's going to be okay. Just like, oh, Oh, everything's going to be okay. Okay, mom. And I'm like, what do you say? What the, I saw, I saw you talking to the doctor and saw oh, nothing, honey, you're going to be okay. And, uh, and, um, uh, I looked at her and she said, they told you I'd never walk again, didn't they? And she just buckled, man. She just lost it. And, um, she comes up next to me on the side of the, the bed and she looks at me and she says, son, I wish everything had ended for you that day. Wow. And you know what I heard? I love you, son. I don't want you to hurt in this life anymore. Yeah. That's what I heard. Um, and, and she didn't want to hurt. You know, my mom had a really tough, tough upbringing. Uh, she ran away at a young age. She was beaten. She was raped. Um, she had me at 17. She was encouraged to have an abortion. My mom had a hard life, man. And here she is like sitting bedside and, and I felt her man. And I knew like, that's just her way of saying, I love you. Um, and shortly after that, the neurosurgeon comes in and he's like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have another surgery. We're going to like, for sure, you know, no fear. Let's just do it. Let's jump yeah. into it, man. I have a surgery. I wake up. Um, I'm probably down for half a day, a day or something like that. And a uh, nurse comes in. She's like, we're going to try to get you up today. And, wow. you know, previously I couldn't sit up at all without being, my whole left side of my body shutting down. There was just too much pain. I couldn't, um, but she gets me up and I'm sitting up at the edge of the bed. And I'm like, no way. And I put my feet on the ground. I'm like, no way. <laughs> and she's like, we're going to go out into the hallway and start walking. And so we do. And my right side's perfectly fine. So my left side was the side that took the brunt of all the damage, bro. It's, you know, it's, 
the, the collapse long and, and, um, I was dragging my left leg. We get out into the hallway and I'm actually really excited. You know, I'm not even, I'm just like, this is amazing, you know? And I basically, she's like, okay, walk slow, take it easy. (laughs) And dude, I just beeline it, man. I just, and I end up running into the wall and she's like, oh my, you know, she's, oh my goodness. (laughs) And I'm here laughing with joy, with a joyful heart, as much pain as I was in, man. Um, I mean, I was still in a lot of pain after that surgery, but um, I just knew, I knew I was going to walk again. I knew I was going to be okay. And, um, you know, eventually I end up leaving that hospital, staying with my mom. And in that time with my mom, I remember she came home one day and I was, I just broke down crying. You know, my mom took me in. We didn't have a great relationship. We didn't even really know each other, you know, or I didn't know her. Right. Right. And she starts telling me her childhood, the things she'd been through. And um, in that moment, I realized I needed to forgive my mom. I need to forgive my mom for everything because she was a broken child just like me. And then she goes and starts telling me about my dad and telling me stories about him. And I realized he was a broken boy just like me. And I realized I had to forgive my dad. And I think that's when healing really started taking like emotional, you know, physical, like, um, that forgiveness for both of my parents, but you know, the, the road was long, man. I mean, I had to do four years of physical therapy, hitting the gym, strength training, you know, days where I would go work out. And then I'd be out for three days because of a combination of all the structural damage, plus the, um, the physical pain of the training. Right. Because like, I was kind of an all in guy, a guy that jumps out of a window is pretty all, all in. in, right? Okay. <laughs> He's pretty, pretty all, in. all in, you know, I'm an all wow. in guy. So, um, but that's just part of my personality, you know, just a overachiever in a sense, right. Um, performance driven. I'm a, I have this performance driven personality that I, I developed because I always wanted to show my dad I was good enough. Yeah. Mm. I'm good. Enough. I'm good enough, dad. You know, my daddy issues, like, I just wanted him to say he was proud of me, man. And, um, so, you know, in turn, I, everything I did, I went all in with, right. I mean, and that included drinking and using and all that, everything was a game and a competition to me, you know, even with drugs and alcohol with my friends and most of my friends were a lot bigger than me. And it was just, it was a nasty game because of the always wanting to prove myself, you know, but what happened was as I started training and getting healthy again, there's the performance mindset, right? Right. You know, my dad was this Marine, this tough man. And I think that's one of the qualities. He was very gritty and resilient. And I think that was a quality that I developed when I was learning how to walk again and get in shape again, um, was my dad, you know, and, and knowing how tough that man really was outside of his struggles with drugs and alcohol and, you know, not letting certain things in the past go, you know? Um, and so I spent four years after physical therapy gave up on me. It was like, you're done. You know, I was pretty much stuck. You know, I was told I was never going to walk again. If I did, I'd be fully medicated. Um, you know, there was no real hope for my future at all. And, um, but there was, you know, I think that when you're laying in that bed and you have this moment of clarity in the midst of pain and trouble and trauma, and, um, all of a sudden everything that voice says starts to come to pass. Like there's a purpose for your life. And there was a hope for my life. And I wanted to pursue that, you know? And so that's what I did. You know, I, I decided I made a conscious choice to fight the good fight and to try to make the most out of this life. And so the next four years, I just took care of my body outside of the drinking and occasional using, um, the fitness got me off of all the pain medication. And if you were to see my, I'm sure you have seen my x-rays they are absolutely insane. Um, you know, chiropractors, doctors, neurosurgeons, uh, nurses, x-ray technicians, anyone that looks at my, 
my x-rays, they're just blown away by the fact that I don't even take Tylenol, man. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm over here almost 45 years old playing center field for my softball team, <laughs> you know, round, round in the bases, like a madman crushing 330 foot home runs. Like, yeah. you know, I, you know, there was purpose in my life and there was purpose in all that trauma and all those experiences. Again, that led up to who I am today. Amazing. You know? Rob, you're amazing, brother. You're amazing. Nah. And I love you. I love your story. And you know, you said you're all in. And I heard you and I heard you say that story. But I one thing that's standing out to me right now is that you're all in, but you were all in with forgiveness too, brother. Like like a lot of people couldn't let that go. A lot of people couldn't let the hurt go. And here you are forgiving your mom, forgiving Mm -hmm. your dad, forgiving Mm -hmm. the people who've done these things to you in your life and all in with it. Yeah, I shifted your trajectory. I'll say this. Anyone can say whatever they want about addiction. I'm not going to call out somebody else's addiction, man. You know, your process is your process. Your journey is your journey. But I will say this. Drugs and alcohol filled a void for me. And a lot of that void was uh, resentment, bitterness, rejection, unforgiveness, isolation, um, neglect. And when I started getting full of life, so once I started forgiving people, all that other stuff started going, I have nothing to be better about. Like I forgave that person. I have nothing like what they did is what they did. And understanding that other people have their own traumas, uh, their own life experiences. And most people just choke them down and they do drugs and they get like, just like I was, that was my parents. And, um, it's just a lot of people don't address it. And I figured if I could have a clean heart, I would heal and excel in this life and talk. I, you know, I haven't drank alcohol in 10 years. I haven't used drugs in 10 years. Um, and I have not even been Thank you. I haven't even been um, tempted to do so, you know, um, because of all the forgiveness and, you know, again, and, and, you know, my faith plays a big role in all that. So, um, you know, so bitterness, bro, is cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And it just eats at you and it just eats at you and eats at you. Yes. And, you know, forgiveness doesn't come without work. And so I want to go back to your dad for a moment. Yeah. So you have your suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you spend time with your mom. Uh, mm-hmm. You didn't bring your dad up in that. Was, was dad still connected after the suicide? Yeah. Attempt? Okay. So here we go. So, yes. So we occasionally had conversations, you know, and, and I would reach out to him, tell him I loved him and stuff like that. So, you know, 10 years in after my my suicide attempt you know my dad and i kept in contact and again i had i held no grudges and um and i remember my dad calling me one day and he says you know son i don't know why you love me i don't know why you talk to me i did nothing but try to bring you down and i never wanted you to be better than me and you know what this guy hears (laughs) i'm sorry son that's what I heard. Uh, I'm sorry. And all I could say in that moment, Cam, was, it's all right, Dad. You're my dad, and I love you, man. And just straight up. And um, I get off that phone call. And a couple of days later, I receive a phone call from my niece. Hey, Uncle Rob, Grandpa's dead. Um, my dad was on his way out, man. And... Uh, he just wanted to say sorry before he left. Powerful stuff. Um, very powerful. And I'm grateful for that because I know that not everybody gets that experience, man. Um, I know that forgiving him and being a part of his life over that 10-year period, I, I guarantee you the guilt, the shame, uh, the feeling like he had a hand in my suicide attempt because, you know, 
um, sane people just don't jump out windows, man. You know, right. Right. Um, I believe that he, he had a hand in that, you know, and, uh, and it was freedom for both of us, you know, and, 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 you know, a couple years go by and all of a sudden I just get this urge to reach out to my biological father. And I do to find out that he has stage four bladder cancer. Oh, man. I'm like, here, here we go. <laughs> right. Okay. Yep. So this is what we're doing. So I spend the next six months connecting with them all through Facebook, no phone call, no video, just messenger. And, um, it got to a point where he ended up in the hospital and things were getting really bad. And, um, his health was depleting quickly. So I go out to Washington, his girlfriend and her daughter picked me up from the airport and they're like, Hey, you know, you know, there's other conversation that took place, but Hey, you know, Mike, he was waiting for you so he can pass on to the next life. Wow. Like, yeah. That's heavy. Like, Hey, okay. yeah, you, you're, you're, you're humbled by that. You're overwhelmed by that. It's like, man, that's, you know, uh, that's, that's a lot. And, um, so I get to the house, a few hours goes by, he doesn't come out of the room. He finally, he finally crawls out of the room, man. Um, he's so disconnected. He's so like far gone and he sits down on the chair and I'm sitting on the couch and he makes eye contact with me and he has this, we have this moment, right? And he's like, Hey buddy, how are you? And he reaches over for me with whatever energy he has and he pulls me close to him and I'm putting my arms around him. I could feel his vertebrae and his shoulder blades and he's just so frail, man. You know, he's a Norwegian guy, man. You know, us Norwegian guys, we're not the smallest guys, right? So, well, except I am, Cam. I, I am the runt <laughs> of the Norwegian bunch, just a heads up. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, um, and I'm just like, you know, dad, I love you. I just want you to know that I love you. And my dad breaks. He just crumbles, man. And he gets up and he goes back to the room. Well, next day, nothing, man. And I got to go back home. I got to be back with my family. You know, I never really left my family before. And um, so I'm walking in the room. And I mean, he's, he's done, man. I'm looking in the bed. He's, he's, he's finished. He's, and uh, I grab his hand and I start rubbing it and I'm rubbing the top of his hand and his knuckle and you know, it's cold. And he's taking these like really shallow, shallow breaths. I mean, he's, I'm like, Hey dad, um, just know that I love you, that I forgive you. There's no hard feelings here. You know, I got to go home. I got to go home to my family. I got to be with my family, dad. And um, I was like, you're in God's hands now. And out of nowhere, he's like, no, not yet. Like his, oh, I just got chills. Um, his mouth like really didn't even move, man. His eyes didn't open. There was nothing. It was like he, like just, <laughs> you know, and um, I broke. I broke, I broke, I broke. And, um, it, that was hard to walk away from because I knew that was the last time I was going to ever see my, my dad. And, um, and I loved him, man. You know, both of these men, once you forgive, there's the opportunity of love, right? I believe that forgiveness wow. is love. Wow. Forgiveness is love. Um, and, um, I love these men and, um, you know, I, I left and a couple of days later, I get the call. Yeah. Mike's gone. Mike's mm -hmm. gone. And so, um, yeah. Man, I'm like, I'm on this end. And if you're, man, I'm getting emotional listening <laughs> to this part of your story. And in my head, I'm like, Cam, like his entire story is emotional. But that connection piece, I, I circle back the parallel of like the the hope and the pain. So your dad and your mm -hmm. mom, they split when you're you're young and you have yeah. the hope of seeing your biological father only to find the same pain. Your yeah. dad passes away. 
Mm-hmm. And a couple of years later, you reach out and you have this hope, maybe this hope inside of like reaching out to your biological father again and get hit with the message that he's dying mm-hmm. in the pain. Mm-hmm. And you go through that cycle once again, now a grown man, and you come through this entire experience. It, man, you're incredible because you come through this entire experience full of hope, full of love and yeah. forgiveness. Yeah. What a powerful example of what God can do. So, man, yes. like, man. Well, I, so this is the thing that resonates. The thing that changed my life the most, Cam, was Jesus on the cross. Everything that happened to him leading to the moment on the cross, the asking the Father to forgive these people for all the hurt that that they instilled on him, the suffering, the empathy, the compassion, the love, the sacrifice, the laying down his life because he loved you. (laughs) And when I get into those places, man, that's what I look at. I look at that. And um, that right there was the ultimate example. Without that, I wouldn't be who I am today, right? That's just, I just would not. Um, whether someone takes the message of the cross as just a, a, an amazing story or someone truly believes that's their savior, like myself, like there's no more, there's, you, you can't name a more powerful story of forgiveness and love, you know, than that to me. So um, that has been a driving force in my life. And, um, in my healing as well. Amazing. I appreciate you sharing because it was such a selfless act, right? Yeah. And, and I think- A selfless act, correct. Yeah. And, and so, I, so I want to bring this full circle. So yes. now you're a dad. Yes. Now you, you, got, you got your own. I uh, do. And now that we know your story, people are going to be like, how does he do it? <laughs> you know, like, uh, how does he do it? So- I'm going to ask you, how do you do it, Rob? Like, how do you pull it off? Um, do you feel by, like you're going by the seat of your pants sometime? Well, yeah. I mean, well, I you think know, I, I am so bought into my purpose, Cam. I am right. so bought into um, loving other people. I am yeah. bought into it. Um, I was loved through the whole process. I see that. I know that. Again, the message of the cross, that was love. I have that love. That love lives inside of me. And so the things that I do are out of love, being a father, being a husband, um, my nonprofit, working in recovery, you know, um, all of it, man. My buddy Adam and I are, we're working on a podcast together where we got to, we get to share stories like this um, and really make an impact on people. Let people, you know, you're not alone. You're not the only person that has felt this way before, like, you know, let me walk in the trenches with you. Let me jump on the front line with you. I'm not here to play the background, man. I'm here to get dirty with you because I know I've been there. I've done that. I know what it feels like. And um, so everything that I do now is really um, to honor my life because it was given back to me more than once. Right. Um, There are people that have suffered worse injuries than me that can't walk. And I'm over here doing it all, man. Um, I got a late jump on life in a sense, like, you know, I have an older son that's 23 and the reality is I was checked out. I was, I was a drug addict, alcoholic. It, um, I wasn't really a good part of his life. You know, we missed out on a lot together, but you know, the last five years we've been able to develop a great relationship with each other, you know, um, to love my oldest son, even though I wasn't there, And then I get to pour it into my kids. You know, I don't, I share this a lot is that the ceiling in this life is going to be my kids dance floor. (laughs) Yeah. I, I want to create something so amazing with love as the center of it and hand it over to them and be like, now you go, now you go do great things. You go love people. You serve people. You help people. You get creative. Whatever it is that you do, use your gifts that you have, your God-given gifts, 
and go make the world a better place because we need that. And so um, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, I got a bit of a rescuer complex. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Is that so, how you got into all the coaching roles? Cause you're a, yeah. a it's a CCAR recovery coach. So I'm a CCAR recovery addiction coach, right? I'm a baseball coach. I have my little, my yeah. son's little league. Um, I am a health and fitness coach. I yeah. coach and work with uh, troubled youth, you know? So, Amazing. you know, coaching, yeah, coaching, you know, man, it's really more about being su- a support for somebody. Um, and that's what I want to do. I want to support people. You know, I, I just recently started working at a uh, recovery home where, you know, these people are um, extremely challenged with the amount of trauma um, and drugs that they've been exposed to for long periods of time. And, um, you know, one, it makes me grateful that my mind is sharp, my body's strong, I am good, and I have the ability to give back and provide, right? That's not everybody's case and not everyone's future looks like that, man. And uh, I have that opportunity to work with people that um, are in a much darker place than I believe I ever was, you know. And, so, and you're making a difference. It, like that's, that's, that's the hope. We're, yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah. You know, Rob, your story is incredible. You, my friend, are incredible. You truly are a dad making a difference. You know, I get to do 52 of these a year, one per week. And I'm yeah. so grateful that... I got to do this with you today. I thought I'm so grateful that I got to spend this time with you, that the people listening to this got to hear from you. So Rob, thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Uh, If somebody wants to connect with you, if they want to find you, where, where can they do that? Um, So riseslines.org is my website. I also have robdeckerspeaks.com, which is another website. You can always find me on social media as well. Um, I just, I don't want anyone to think my life is perfect. I still have my issues. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, can we do the daddy issue thing? Yeah. You know, my little boy, my little six-year-old man, I, I have to, I just have to Cam. I'm, we're, this is the extended it. version. These are the extra clips, bro. I love it. <laughs> I have to talk about this. Well, over the last week or so, um, my little boy has just made me so proud. I always wanted to be the proud little boy. Right. Um, I want my daddy to be proud of me, you know, and I'm sure both my parents are, you know, my dads are very proud of me now, but, um, you know, my little six-year-old boy, Caleb, he plays up a level in baseball. He plays with eight to 10 year olds. First game of the year. Um, he hits the game winning RBI, the six-year-old, the little six-year-old there's guys (laughs) twice his, but you know what, as a dad, as a dad, I'm on the sidelines. I'm, I'm there with him. Um, I get to see this thing. I get to, I get to take a part in this, this beautiful, like, Oh man. And, um, you know, that really brought tears to my eyes. And then, you know, today, my son, I, I have a, my, one of my closest friends is a, uh, he played semi-pro baseball. And so he comes over and he coaches my, my, but my, my boy, and uh, he coaches him a little bit. We go to, we go to the batting cage, man. And my son took everything he was taught in that one session, six years old. And he turned it up at the batting cages. I mean, he, it, (laughs) it, it was, and as a dad, as a dad to be able to see that, um, man, I mean, it just tears it, man. Um, just Isn't what it great. You know what it is, Cam? Because I see myself in my son. You know, I don't try to make his life about the life I didn't have, which I have to be careful about, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, I have to be very careful about. Um, baseball was my dream, right? I am just grateful that he has taken a very deep liking to the sport and he's excelled at it. Um, I was never encouraged to excel. I I was always shut down and things were taken away from me. 
And so, you know, I think the challenge I have with my son is don't make this about you, Rob. Caleb is his own individual. And so, you know, any dads listening, dude, I am not perfect. I have my issues. I have my moments. You know, um, I have my junk. Don't get it twisted, man, because <laughs> I do. Um, but you're mindful of it. You pay attention and, you know, you always do what's best. And so I had to share. I'm so proud of my little boy. And, um, you know, being a dad, I think when you've been through the things that I've been through, you know, becoming a husband after everything you've seen growing up, um, my wife is the only woman I've ever been committed to. Right. Um, you know, my children just, man, you know, it, it brings up a lot, you know, um, but yeah, so, man, I love it. On with that, bro. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the, it is the best job. It is the, you know, yes. being a dad, seeing, you know, I have a son as well and seeing yourself and them a little bit, but also knowing that their life is their life and, and, yeah. and ought to make it about you and such an important lesson for so many of us to learn. Rob, yeah. thank you. Um, appreciate you. And yeah, we're connected now, brother. So I can't wait to connect with you again. Cam, I appreciate you. Love you, brother, man. I really do appreciate you. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. I hope you found value in today's show. And if it made a positive impact on you, please share it with someone you know, leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. I'm Cam Hall. Thank you for spending time with me today. And I will see you on the next episode of the DMD podcast.